Mark chapter 6 for our study. And this has been an unusual study. I feel semi-uncomfortable because this isn't the way we normally do things. But I wanted to, several months ago, uh, Pastor Travis came and shared with me a DVD series that can be used in a home Bible study. The idea that we that motivated this is we understand from Mark chapter 16, the last comments of that Mark records about the Lord, it has to do in going into the world and preach the gospel. And we understand that. We know that this is an obligation that every single one of us has to do, to share the word of God. And we know it, we preach it, we amen it, but it gets difficult for all of us. We're challenged at times with boldness. We're challenged at times what to say. We're challenged by intimidation that what if we say the wrong thing or they ask the wrong question. So one of the things that we were talking about is what tools can we use to help you in your gospel presentation to family or friends. And so uh, Pastor Travis came up with a suggestion that he had been looking at, and that was a series, a DVD series for a home Bible study that you could do in a six, eight week period, one night a week, and you could have family or friends over, and it's a DVD that you would use that would speak sometimes 10 minutes, sometimes 20 minutes, and then you, you go off from that with a little booklet to answer questions that were discussed there, and to do a little bit of Bible discussion as well. And so he was going to, and he is using that right now in the, in the evangelistic Bible study upstairs that some of you invited people to. And I'm inclined to have said at that point, I said, I wanted to share it with you on Wednesday nights and go through it as if we are doing that Bible study. This, this is really odd. You know, we're in a big room. You're supposed to be sitting around a table or on a couch. So we lose some of that closeness and that you know, maybe three, four people doing the Bible study. But it gives you a sense... And I wanted to work through some of the material with you so you would see, hey, this isn't so hard to do. You could do it. And so what I'm doing is actually doing the Bible study with you as if you have the questions in front of you. And these are some of the very questions out of the book and out of the, out of the material that you would give to the person that you're sharing this with. And so this evening, we're just going to kick off again like we did the last two weeks ago, is, hey, let's just pick up as if we're sitting in somebody's living room or we're talking about a Bible study. And what's interesting with this whole concept is, if you remember where we started a couple weeks ago, we, uh, maybe three weeks ago, we said that what we're told in Mark is to get out the gospel. Well, the very beginning of the, go- uh, the book of Mark says, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Mark is written from a very evangelistic point of view, how to share Jesus Christ. And he is the key to the good news. So it's been a lot of the study that this presentation that is put together by uh, the group that's called Christianity Explored, what they're doing is they're talking about Christ. They're trying to explain to individuals that they're, t- they're sitting with, who is Jesus? Why did he came? And that's where we're at this evening. We're talking about the lesson that is, why did Jesus come? So uh, let's just pretend we're into it, okay? We're starting our Bible study, and I would sit there and say, hey, do you remember where we were a couple weeks ago when we last met together? We talked about some of the fabulous things that Jesus did. We looked at some of the miracles that are recorded in the first couple chapters of Mark which all of a sudden it's like Mark starts to write the gospel of Jesus Christ and he jumps right in and he starts talking immediately about some of the great things Jesus did. Talks about how he calms the storm when the disciples think they're going to die. It talks about how he heals multiple numbers of people in chapter 2. It talks about how he goes and he raises up somebody from the dead. So you're getting this presentation from those, those snippets of Jesus' life that are showing you and me that he is a very unique 
unique person, that he has unique abilities, abilities to control nature, ability to control disease that is caused by sin, ability to overcome the most dangerous, the most powerful enemy that we face, death itself. Jesus shows this ability, this power. And that obviously means that Jesus, as a unique person, he is the only one who could do this because he is showing power that belongs to what person and what person alone. The only person who controls creation. The only person who controls life and death. He's God. And so it's the presentation that Mark is trying to make in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's laying out for us that Jesus Christ is God by showing that he does things that only God can do. And then we come into Mark chapter 6, another section of the book. And I'm going to read an extended length of passage. And I'm using my King James Bible. You might have another translation. But follow along. And as we're reading through this, I want you to be thinking in the back of your mind some questions about what does this passage or these passages, an extended text here, what do they teach me about Jesus? What do they say about Jesus? What do they portray about Jesus? Mark is writing this to present Jesus to us. So in the back of your mind or write down on the piece of paper, what does this tell me about Jesus? You follow along as I read this section of scriptures. In Mark chapter 6, I'm starting with verse 1. He went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogues, and many, hearing him, were astonished, saying, From whence has this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given, uh, given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought in his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters with us? And some were stumbled. They just didn't understand. Jump down to verse 7. And he called unto him the twelve and began to send them forth two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. And he commanded them that they should take nothing of their journey, save a staff only, nor script, nor bread, nor money in their purse, but be shod with sandals and not put on two coats. And he said, as he directed them, in what place soever you enter into a house, there abide till you depart from that place. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear you, when you depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And they went out, and they preached that men should repent. And they, they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. Let's jump down to another part of the text. Verse 30. The apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said, Come here yourselves apart into the desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran afoot thither out of all the cities, and outwent them, and came together unto him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, and was moved with compassion toward them, because they were a sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far spent are far past, send them away that they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. He answered and said to them, You give them to eat. And they said unto him, Shall we go and buy two hundred penny worth of bread and give them to eat? He said, How many loaves have you? Go and see. 
And when they knew, they said, we have five and two fishes. And he commanded them to make all the people sit down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and two fishes, he looked up to heaven, blessed, break the loaves, gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all. And they did all eat and were They were filled, yeah. And they took up 12 baskets or knapsacks full of the fragments of the fishes, and they did eat. The loaves were about 5,000 men. We continue on. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida, while he sent the people away. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when the evening was come, the ship was in the middle of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he comes unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed them. I love that phrase. He would have passed them by. It's like, you stuck on the turnpike, and he's just walking by. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a ghost or a spirit. And they cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked to them, and he said, be of good cheer. It is I. Stop being afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure. And they wondered, for they considered not or forgot the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. And when they had come over, came into the land of Gennesaret, and drew to the shore, and when they were come out of the ship straightway, they knew him. Oh, that is the people. And they ran through, through that whole region round about and began to carry about in beds those that were sick where they heard he was. And whithersoever he entered into villages or cities or country, they laid the sick in the streets and besought him that they might touch, if it were, but the border of his garment. And as many as touched him, what does your Bible say? Made all. Okay, chapter 7. Let's jump down to verse 24. From thence he arose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon, entered into a house, and would have no man know it, but he could not be hidden. For a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation. She besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. Jesus said, Let the children first be filled, for it is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to the dogs. She answered and said, Yea, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said unto her, For this saying, Go your way, the devil has gone out of your daughter. And when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out and her daughter laying upon the bed. We go a little bit further as we continue. And again, departing from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, he came into the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coast of Decapolis. And they bring unto him one that was deaf, had an impediment in his speech. They beseech him to put his hands upon him. He took him aside from the multitude, put his fingers into his ear, spit, touched his tongue, and looking up to heaven, he sighed, and saith unto him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. Straightway his ears were opened, and the string in his tongue was loosed, and he spake plainly. And he charged them they should tell no man, but the more he charged them, so much the more the great deal they published it, and were beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all these things well. He makes both the dumb, uh, both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. Continuing on, in those days, the multitude, being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto them and said, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away fasting to their houses, they are going to faint by the way. For divers of them came from afar, a number of them came from afar. And his disciples said, 
from whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? Boy, they have short-term memory, don't they? And he asked them, how many loaves have you? This time they have even more, right? Last time, how many did they have? Five. Now they have seven, so they can do twice as many. And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks and break and gave to his disciples and set before them. And they did set it before the people, and they had a few small fishes. He blessed them, commanded to set them also before them. They did eat and were... Yeah. And they took up of the broken meat that was left, seven baskets. And they that had eaten were 4,000, and he sent them away. Let's jump down to verse 22 as we finish up this section. And again, he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. Think the guy had cataract scale? Probably worse. Okay. He took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes, he put his hands upon him, and he asked him if he saw anything or aught. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up. And he was restored and saw every man clearly. And he sent him away, saying to him, he neither go into the town nor tell it to any inside the town. And we go on and on. There's more and more. The point is this, okay, as we look and say, okay, let's answer a couple questions. So you and I are, have read this now, and we're going to ask, how does this passage portray, portray Jesus? As we just read it, what does it say to you about his abilities? What's that? Okay. I'm talking about his powers, first of all. Okay. Okay. What's that? It's supernatural. What limitations are there? Unlimited. Unlimited. He is dealing with multiple types of things, okay? Um, what does it tell you about his ability in the sense of healing somebody compared to the therapy you do? Uh, you had surgery? How long is your therapy? Okay, okay. So right now, after surgery, whatever it was, four or five weeks ago, your arm is really good. No, no. What's the difference in Jesus' work? Okay, it's immediate. Um, did Jesus ever show any signs of wearing down? You know, all of a sudden the crowds are getting too big. I, I need a break. I'm just, I'm exhausted. Was there, any, was there any running out of gas in what he was doing? Not at all. Not at all. It's instantaneous. By the way, how many of these people could be healed? All of them that came in the one passage, did you catch that? All that touched him were healed. So it's unlimited. It's an amazing thing. Now, Bob, you had mentioned more about his attitude. What is his attitude with these people? Compassionate. Even when he says, I need a break. This strikes me. I need a break. Leave me alone. None of you ever get this way. I know. Okay, it's just me. Okay, that is just like, I don't want to talk to anybody. Don't bother me. And, you know, don't. Did he do that to people? No. In fact, when he saw the people, though he said we need a break because we're exhausted, when he saw the people in the crowds, it says he was moved with, even towards unlovely people. Let's be realistic without being crude. People who are disease-ridden, sometimes we avoid. We avoid people who have some very serious-looking handicap, right? We don't want to admit it, but that happens, you know. Uh, we, we kind of shy away from somebody that may have a disorder because we don't want to catch the disorder. Okay. Not Jesus. The passage is highlighting for us his abilities and his affection. Very clearly, the author wants to let us know that this man is a phenomenal man, unlike any, anyone that's, that people have run into. 
that it's just an amazing situation. Now, in chapter 6, verse 34, go and look at the text again. In chapter 6, verse 34, there's an interesting phrase. It's going to talk about these people appear to Jesus as he sees them out there. They appear as ones who have no shepherd. Now, this passage, just for your information, as we sit here and talk in our living room about you know, this idea of those without a shepherd, that's an Old Testament statement. That comes out of the book of Ezekiel where Ezekiel talks about the people of Israel, the shepherds, the priests, the religious leaders, they were, they were taking advantage of the people. They weren't, they weren't feeding the flock, they were fleecing the flock as religious leaders. And in the book of Ezekiel, Jesus makes a, I'm sorry, God makes a comment. It's in Ezekiel chapter 34, down in verse 16, if you were to look it up. He says and he predicts that sometime in the future, he will come and rescue the sheep from these rotten shepherds. Interesting. Jesus now is portraying himself in the sense that these people are shepherdless. He is going to come and he's going to shepherd them. He is going to heal, help the sheep that are broken. He is going to feed the sheep that are hungry. And by the way, in the text that we read, he's doing that. He's feeding them. He's guiding them. Look at chapter 6, verse 34. As he sees these people, and he makes the note that they are people without a shepherd, look at the last phrase in particular. He began to teach them. He began to teach them. It's interesting, his first reaction in seeing these people with all their needs was to teach them. What was he going to teach? What was the lesson that he wants to portray to these individuals that he is going to teach them? Now, let's, let's answer this question. If you and I, if all of a sudden Jesus came to visit our community, would he probably think, yes or no, that people look like they're shepherdless, spiritually. That they're kind of all over the place, scattered, is good, lost, okay, broken, hungry. Would he say that there's a whole lot of ministers that are not feeding but fleecing? Is that even true in our day? Okay. Would, what do you think Jesus would want to do? Would he want to walk away? That would be totally inconsistent with what we've seen about Jesus. He would, if, if I understand Jesus, he would immediately try to teach them and meet their needs. And so when we start talking about Jesus' teaching, let's back up previous to this. Let's go back to Matthew, Mark chapter 2, and another story where Jesus is going to teach people who are hungering. And it's interesting what he teaches in this text. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. And again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. Straightway many were gathered together, insomuch there was no room. Now, if you want in your Bible study, if you're teaching this, you may want to back up a little bit. And you want to, might want to point out to them, the previous chapter makes it very clear that Jesus was already getting lots of public press. People were coming to him. There was great crowds. That is where Mark 2 picks up. That Jesus couldn't even go into the cities because the crowds were so great. And so Mark 2 picks up that he comes into Capernaum. It's noised abroad and there's no room to receive, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. Watch that. He is teaching them once again by preaching the word. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was being carried by four men. And when they had not come nigh to him, they couldn't get near to him for, because of the press. What did these men do? This is a story you're familiar with. They're, they're going to be very creative. What do they do? 
They can't get close to Jesus, but they want their palsied friend to, to get close to him. Okay, they, they rip through the roof. Okay, again, the roofs are different. We understand that, okay? They don't have to deal with, you know, the insulation and all that other stuff that we would, you know, or the wiring, okay? But they're like squirrels up there taking it apart real quick. And they are doing that. By the way, what does that tell you about these four men? What's that? They're determined individuals. What else would you say about the four men? Okay. Okay, they believe in Jesus. Anything else would you say about them? They're what? They're good friends. I, by the way, if you were a palsied man, would you like those guys to be your buddies? Yeah. And so they're working hard, and Jesus is preaching to them, and they want to get this man closer to Jesus. Now, you know this story. You know how this unfolds. Okay? Jesus sees the man. He's kind of dropped right in his lap, so to speak. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the sick of the palsy, I'm going to heal your disease. Right or wrong? No. What does he say? Why does he do that? And why doesn't he immediately heal the man? Why do you think? What's that? He's teaching a lesson. That's an obvious. Yep. Okay, there's the key. Doesn't this reveal to you the greatest need? Jesus addressed the man's greatest need, correct? The greatest need this man has, okay, let, let's be frank about it. Sometimes we think our greatest need is financial need. Sometimes our greatest need is a, a, a healing need. Sometimes we think our greatest need is help me through some difficulty. But Jesus knows our greatest need is our relationship with the Father, our walk with the Father. And he addresses that. And he talks about it. Now, when he addresses it, look at verse 6 and 7. There were certain scribes, the religious leaders, sitting there reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? Okay, question. Okay. Were they right in their conclusions? Some say yes, and some of you are saying no. So what's the answer? It's both. <laughs> okay. What part would you say they were wrong in? The blasphemy. He was not blaspheming. We know that. He was not blaspheming. What were they right in? Only God can forgive sins. Okay, that part they're right. Okay, and Jesus' response is, all of a sudden this you know, continues on in that sense, is Jesus says, okay, now watch his comment. He, Jesus perceived in his spirit what they were reasoning. He said, okay, why do you reason these things in your heart? Do you think it's easier to say the sick of the palsy, your sins be forgiven, or to say arise and take up your bed and walk? We know the answer, by the way. The more profound is your sins are forgiven. But to show that the sins are forgiven, what does he say to the man? Okay, that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. I say to this man, arise, take up your bed, and go your way into your house. And, by the way, Mark uses this word a lot. Immediately, quickly, okay, you see those action verbs. Immediately he arose, took up his bed, went forth, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw it on this fashion before. And so Jesus immediately responds to that, heals the man, and the, he deals with it, and he's proving a point. Mark is proving a point. Jesus is unique. He is one of a kind. You liked that, didn't you? It was rugby. Then you can sit and show those people this video clip for a few minutes that will build on what you've just taught them.
was quite competitive. So I sent a strict time training schedule, which I immediately put in. I hate my life. 
display for everyone to see. I'd be so ashamed. I wouldn't be able to look people in the eye. Could you? If you're being honest. So what is the problem? Why is there so much to be ashamed of? Jesus gives us the answer in Mark chapter 7. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. So when we look at the world and see all the things that are wrong with it, we instinctively want to point the finger at others. But Jesus says, the problem is much closer to home. The reason the world is not the way it's supposed to be is because we're not the way we're supposed to be. And if we were to trace all the evil in the world back to its source, says Jesus, the place we'd end up is the human heart. For the people of Jesus' day, the heart was not simply the pump that sends blood around the body. It was thought of as the seat of human personality. It was the real you. Why is it so hard to keep good relationships going? Why do we hurt those we love most? Why can't we automatically do what we know is the right thing? And why are we so often tempted to do what we know is wrong? Because each of us has a heart problem. Unfortunately, according to Jesus, our problems don't end there. It's not just that we often treat each other and our world in a shameful way. We treat God in that way too. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus tells us how we should relate to God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Jesus calls this the most important commandment, and with good reason. Because God made us, and sustains us, and gives us every good thing we enjoy, what should be our response to him? Jesus tells us, we should love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the really scary word here is all. It means that no part of our lives is to be withheld from God. He is to have all of everything. But that's not our heart. We decide exactly what we'll do with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We give our hearts to lots of things, but not to our Creator. We barely know His commands, let alone seek to obey them. We develop relationships with others, but neglect the very relationship for which we were primarily designed. And instead of loving God, we live as if we were God. And that's what the Bible calls sin. So why did Jesus come? According to Mark's Gospel, Jesus came to cure our heart problem, the problem of our sin. Here's what happens in Mark chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, but there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Notice how uptight these people are with Jesus. They called the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and they were the religious establishment. 
They were always at the synagogue, always praying, always trying to do the right thing. And they are furious here because Jesus is spending time with all the people they love to look down on, especially tax collectors who were hated because they worked for the occupying Roman forces. But the shock for us, as it was for many religious people at the time, is Jesus' statement in verse 17. It's not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You see, Jesus knows that when we look at our world and the state of our hearts, no one can seriously claim to be righteous. No one has managed to love God with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, and all their strength. If we were able to live like that, there'd be no reason for him to have come at all. No, says Jesus, I haven't come to call people who think they're good, who think they've nothing to be ashamed of. I've come for people who can see what's going on in their own hearts, people who realise they're desperately in need of a cure. If that's you, then I hope you can begin to see why Mark describes Jesus as good news. The qualification for coming to Jesus is not, are you good enough? It's, are you bad enough? He's come for people who realise they're bad, not for people who think they're good. That's the real reason Jesus came. And isn't it ironic that these religious people who think that their hearts are perfectly oh. acceptable to God are the very ones who end up plotting to kill Jesus? Oh. So Jesus says, I've not come to call the righteous but sinners. But why did Jesus feel the need to call sinners at all? For the answer to that question, we need to look at the most disturbing verses in Mark's Gospel, chapter 9, verses 43 to 48. It's here that Jesus tells us just how serious our heart problem really is. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands, to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. I was in Australia visiting a friend and he took me to a beach on Botany Bay, so I decided I had to go for a swim. I was just taking off my shirt when he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm going for a swim. He said, but what about those signs? I said, oh, don't be ridiculous. I'll be fine. He said, listen, mate, 200 Australians have been killed by sharks. You've got to decide whether those signs are there to save you or to ruin your fun. You're of age, you decide. And with that, he walked off down the beach. When we hear Jesus' words about hell, we have to ask ourselves, why did he talk like this? Is he trying to manipulate us? Trying to scare us? Just so he can gain control of us? Or is he giving us a loving warning? For me, as I look at Jesus' life and the way he treats people, I see the most loving man who ever lived. Even people who were rejected by the rest of the world were deeply loved by him. The reason Jesus warns us about hell is surely because he loves us and does not want us to go there. He knows that if we reject God throughout our lives, then ultimately, God will be right to reject us. He knows that our sin, if left undealt with, will take us to a place of unimaginable and unending suffering. He warns us 
because he loves us. But here's the problem. Jesus is not giving us the cure for our sin when he talks about cutting off a hand or a foot or gouging out an eye. Even if we were to do that, the knife would never go deep enough. It would never get to the heart of the human problem, which is the problem of the human heart. The urgent reality is that our hearts are desperately in need of a cure. And no matter what we do, as history has shown, we cannot cure it ourselves. But that is not Jesus came. As much as I hated the fat test and the bleed test, it was far better for me to be exposed as unfit on the training ground than in front of spectators in a crucial game. In the same way, Jesus exposes what we're really like so that we can respond to him while there's still time. We'll never understand why Jesus came until we see the reality of our own hearts. And if we don't see that, we'll go through life without noticing that actually we are in terrible danger. In Mark chapter 9. And here's how I'd wrap up that Bible study that evening and say, hey, go with me to Mark chapter 9. And just look a little bit at what he had already referred to. In Mark chapter 9, you look down in verse 43 and 47, which he referred to here in the video. But he talks and he says that he, we had read the passage already. And if you look through those words, describe for me, okay, how does Jesus, what does he say about hell? What does he say about eternal damnation? And if we were going to take the time, because of I'm going to be pressed here for our time this evening, so I don't intrude in your prayer time, we would say, okay, Jesus, in talking about hell, about the punishment for sin, he talks about it being a real place. To him, to Jesus, it was real. To Jesus, it was filled with literal anguish. To Jesus, there's the flames. It never ends. To Jesus, it's so bad you need to take drastic measures to avoid it. And so Jesus is believing there's eternal damnation, and to avoid it, you need to respond to him. And so he uses the terms about believe and repent. He talks about those ideas that we need to respond. And the idea of using all this graphic speech, as was referred to in the video, is not just to scare us. It's not just to, you know, toe the line. Jesus is using very graphic speech because this is what is ahead if we reject Christ. This is a real place. Jesus really cares. He doesn't want us to go there. He came to call us to a point of repentance so that we would, we would recognize that we need him to be our Savior. At that point, I would talk to the individual and say, okay, and share a testimony. Here's what happened to me, and here's how I came to know Christ. What do you think about that? And go a little bit further with them and talk, and then pick up next week where we talk more about the cross and the sacrifice that, that Jesus made. All of this is intertwined in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ talking about who he is, talking about why he came, and then next week we're going to be talking about what he did to provide that salvation. Now, for you and me this evening, what we want to do is we want to be praying for people to get saved. We want to take it a step further. But keep in mind, you can do these Bible studies, you can pray for people, but you can also share the Word of God. This is a tool you may want to use in the days ahead.